most do people what we do, but they do respect what we do. Most people, you say, respect what the ACLU does. I would say most. Then, then if they respected you as an organization, why aren't you more popular? Because we take unpopular positions. But they respect you. To, you know, nobody wants to jump in and go, "Hey, we don't like what you're doing, and we don't like what you're saying." You know, we respect what you do, but we don't like how you're doing it. Okay, that uh, that's one of those caveman moments for me. <laughs> uh, what? Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 82 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Today, our guest joins us from Mobile, Alabama. Lindy, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you. Thank you. Lindy, would you introduce yourself to our audience? Well, uh, my name is Lindy Maddox, and I'm a practicing attorney in Mobile, Alabama, and have been for 15 years. And I also teach at uh, some of the local universities. Um, and what do you teach? I teach, uh, I teach legal classes, government classes, uh, sociology, psychology, history, things of that nature. And how did you come about a career in both teaching and also as an attorney? Well, after I got my master's in psychology, I decided that I wanted to do something a little different, so I went to law school, and then after I got finished with law school, I decided I didn't quite look old enough to practice law, so I got a master's in history, and then I started working. So I kind of went the long way around. You didn't look old enough? No, when I graduated from law school, I looked about 12. I'm kind of short and skinny and the big glasses, so it didn't, you know, I, was, I, I, wanted, I, I wanted people to listen to me and not, you know, tell me it was, you know, to drink my milk, so I waited. <laughs> you know, I started off in my career very young looking, and when I was 20, I started selling advertising, and when people see you and you look about 17, going into their offices and telling them how to advertise, they just go, what? Exactly. That eye-rolling thing just gets old after a while. <laughs> so I had to wait about 10 years for people to take me seriously. Exactly. But, exactly. But now that I'm in my 40s, you know, looking youthful is kind of good. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm, I don't look 40 yet, but I'm, 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 you know, I'm looking older than 17, which helps a lot. <laughs> Lindy, here's, here's the note that you wrote to the, the show, and I wanted to kind of read that out loud to, to explain why you're on the show. Okay. You wrote in your note that my claim to infamy in Alabama stems from two ACLU cases, Maddox versus Moore, which was a Ten Commandments case, and XYZ versus Escambia County Board of Education. As you know, my views are not popular in these parts. However, most of my ACLU buddies think I'm okay. So what can you tell me about those two cases, both the, the Maddox versus Moore and the XYZ versus the Escambia County Board of Education? Well, in Maddox versus Moore, I sued the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Alabama for placing a two-and-a-half-ton Ten Commandments monument in our Supreme Courthouse in Montgomery. 
and after several years of litigating, I finally got the thing taken out, and he eventually lost his position as Chief Justice. And the uh, the Escambia County case stemmed from a a young lady who was in the National Honor Society who was booted from the Honor Society for getting pregnant, and her boyfriend, who was also an Honor Society member, suffered no repercussions at all. And, and as you can imagine, most of the, the parents and the Escambia County Board of Education thought that my view was totally wrong because they thought that uh, a pregnant teenager was sending the wrong message. But uh, we were asking that if, if, if you punish the girl for being pregnant, you punish the boy for getting her that way. <laughs> and I can see that. I, I can see that as well. If you're going to do it for one, do it for both. Tell me the reason why you wanted to challenge the Ten Commandments. And tell me if that was a popular view or an unpopular view. It was an extremely unpopular view in Alabama. But to, uh, to answer the first part of your question, the monument that was placed in the, in the state judicial building uh, had a, a Protestant version of the Ten Commandments. I, I believe it, it, it came from the King James Version of the Bible. And the, the most honest answer I can give you as to why it bothered me is because I'm Catholic, and that version of the Ten Commandments was not at all familiar to me, because ours are ordered differently and worded differently. And I had spoken with some of my Jewish friends and others, and they didn't recognize the version that was in the, in the building as being you know, their Ten Commandments either. So at first we started asking uh, Judge Moore to allow other religions to place monuments, because he, if you want to display it as a historical display, then everybody needs to be represented. You know, all the lawgivers need to be, have equal time, more or less, like they do in the Supreme Court in Washington. I mean, you know, everybody says, well, Moses is standing there with the Ten Commandments, but you also have every other um, great civilization and every great lawgiver represented in that, in that scene. And I understand that. What other religious artifacts within the government have you also gone after? Was this just the one, or, or do you intend to go after all of them, or just this one? Well, uh... Because there are many, right? Oh, there, yes, there, there are many, many. Each, each state has had its own, its own problems with them, and... Uh, so, so do you plan to go after all of them? Uh, do, do you mean do I personally, or do we as ACLU members, or what? Do you personally plan on going after every religious artifact or um, declaration that you find offensive? Um, if if it somehow impacts my life, yes. The, and, and, and how do you justify whether it impacts your life or not? Well, with the monument in Montgomery... Like I said, it, it, it was very uh, non-inclusive. It, it was, you know, and, and the context in which it was placed put everybody on edge because um, Judge Moore said he, he wanted for, quote, the moral foundation of law. And that impacted your life personally how? Yes. Huh. Um, well, first, because I'm a lawyer. I argue based on statute. I don't base my arguments on Scripture. Okay, so, and that was damaging your life how? Um, you, I could not argue cases for my clients and cite statutes because the court was not recognizing those statutes. 
You cannot argue your cases in that courtroom because of that monument. So it was. Arguments were not being accepted because the judge was um, taking scriptural arguments over Alabama Code and uh, United States Constitution and federal arguments. So if this was hurting you, it was probably hurting other attorneys too. Yes. So what other attorneys were in on the case? Um, there was a young lady named Beverly Howard in Montgomery. She was a co-plaintiff for the ACLU. She was my co-plaintiff. And there was a lawyer named Stephen Glassroth, who was a plaintiff for Southern Poverty Law Center. And how many other attorneys were able to practice law in spite of that monument? Well, I, I guess those who, who didn't feel compromised by it and didn't feel, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure most fundamentalist Protestants didn't have much of a problem with it, but we did. Did you sue for damages? No, we did not. We sued for it. We had an injunction to get the monument out. Well, why didn't you sue for no money? Why didn't you sue for damages if it was prohibiting you from trying your cases? I mean, if you sue for damages, then you can not only get the monument out, but you can also get, uh, I guess, money back for all the damages that you incurred because you weren't able to try your cases in that courthouse. If we had sued for damages individually, then people would have looked at us as if we were just trying to make money. And, and that was not the case. We were, we were suing for the greater good. We were suing for equal representation for everybody. You know, if, if you want this monument, then put a Catholic version and put a Protestant version and put a Jewish version and a Muslim version, and let's have some Wiccan symbols and a totem pole. Let's just, you know, keep everybody represented. Um, and if you don't want that, then... You know, put it in a historical context like the one in D.C., and, and we're okay with it. But when the judge is going, I, you know, I don't care what the, what the statute says, Scripture says this, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, he's taking, uh, taking custody of children away from gay parents because he said gayness was an abomination against God. And was that in, that, and was that, in that Ten Commandments monument? Um, that particular phrase that you just said. Uh, I, I don't think that's in, in the Ten Commandments monument, but that was, like I said, every, everything, you know, is contextual. And this monument and the way it was placed and all of the, the rhetoric behind it just put everybody on notice that, you know, we, we were going to do things from a religious background and not a secular or legal background. So it... it it kind of threw everybody off. And because of your challenge, and because it's been probably very unpopular, has it been good for your business? Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, it was not good for my business. Like I said, I, I used to practice in a really small town in Alabama, and there are like 25 Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches, one little tiny Catholic church, one little temple. Um, but the people would call my office, from the community centers at the different churches and forget to block the number and tell me how the churches were boycotting my practice. And people called from those places threatening to kill me, chop me up, and put me in Little Escambia Creek, um, you know, called threatening my family. that Somebody hung a bunch of dead squirrels in my trees at my house. They shot the windows out of my house, um, keyed my cars. So you won the battle, lost the war. Uh. In a way, yeah, I, I lost a lot, but, you know, I can look at myself in the mirror and I know that I did the right thing, so it was okay. So you would do it all over again? Yes, I would. Okay. A few questions just about the ACLU that I thought some of our listeners would want to know about. Okay. 
first of all, the ACLU sincerely seeking justice, or do they just have a political axe to grind? Well, I want to say I've been involved with them since 1992, and uh, the people with whom I work are very sincere and very passionate about protecting First Amendment rights. We don't have an axe to grind with anybody who don't have a political agenda other than giving everybody equal protection. Okay. Now, is is that your personal view, or is, or is that the view of the ACLU? Well, I have... I've been on the legal committee and several other uh, subcommittees, and I'm going to say that the people with whom I've had contact nationally and statewide carry that same view, that you know, we, we are working for the good of everybody. Do you understand when people hear you say that the ACLU is working for the good of everybody, that they just may be rolling their eyes because of some of the cases that have been brought forth by the ACLU? Well, certainly I do. I mean, every there's always going to be a, an unpopular position, and generally the when the minority brings that position, the majority looks and says, you know, and just swats them away. And, and we have to protect unpopular views sometimes because constitutionally they have a right to be protected. They might not be popular, but they have a right to be protected. So, for example, a viewpoint might be commercial child pornography? Um... Is that a popular view or, or an unpopular view? <laughs> I, I'm not really sure that would be particularly popular. Okay, so when Charles Russ Tierney, who was the former president of the Virginia chapter of mm-hmm. the ACLU, is allegedly possessing child pornography, that is something that the ACLU is going to support or not support? You'd have to look at the way the statute's worded. I mean, obscenity is a hard thing to define, and... And of course, pornography is is difficult to define in each state. Oh, you're 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 not even saying child pornography is bad. Come, well, I, come I, I, on! I don't know what you're calling child pornography. Well, okay. To your definition of the word child, what would it be? That would be someone under the age of nineteen. Okay. Do you understand the definition of pornography? That is, like I said, it, it's different state by state. Okay. Do you think there's ever such a thing as safe child pornography or acceptable child pornography? Well, I, again, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're calling pornography. I mean, there are the answer would the answer to most people would be there is no such thing as safe child pornography. Well, I don't know what you're calling pornography. Oh, see, when you say something like that, I, I understand why people don't like the ACLU. Well, define your terms a little, you know, uh, a little more operationally, and then then I can give you a, a better answer. But uh, are, do you mean a picture, photographs of children having sex? Of course, no. That's that's easily definable as pornography. Okay, so why did it take something so, like a Robert did, Maplethorpe exhibit? So why did as, it take so many questions to get that right? Because most people, if I were to say child pornography, they would be able to say, "Oh, okay, I know what that means." Well, because you haven't you haven't defined the term pornography, and like I said, in each state it's defined differently. And even the Supreme Court justices have said they can't define pornography and obscenity until they see it. Well, so I can't I can't just tell you, you know, if you're if you're looking at a picture that's supposed to be art of, uh, you know, a, a child like a baby on a on a bear blanket or something. Um, no, I think I'm, not, I think I'm been I think I'm pretty clear about child pornography. 
Well, I, I think um, perhaps with your question, you thought you were clear, but I think if you are asking 25 people to define that term, you're going to get 20 definitions. Okay, well... Uh, and sure, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to, to pull a hot-button terms and, 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 and throw it in front of lay people who have no, you know, no working knowledge of the legal or terms of art. And sure, you can you can you can light them up immediately. Go, oh my God, the ACLU is for child pornography. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, but, exactly. But you're not you're not defining your terms. Well, uh, I think that when people hear somebody from the ACLU taking on not a common sense approach and just kind of saying, "Well, you need to define it. You need to define it." That is also a, a very big turnoff. And it 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 just sounds like. It sounds like legal talk. It sounds like attorney talk, and most well, people despise that. Well, you know that's that's why we have attorneys because we are we're the ones tasked with defining terms and specifying what is wrong and what is right. No, the attorneys don't do that. The courts do that. Well, the courts interpret, but the attorneys and the legislators tend to you know get the legislation in place. Well, the the attorneys don't do that. Well, a lot of attorneys work with... A lot of attorneys want to do that, but the attorneys don't do that. Well, we try. We, we make suggestions, and we talk with our representatives and our councilmen and our congressmen, and we tell them, this is what we need, and this is how we need it. Right, and that's, why the, not, you know, and that's why the majority of American citizens are disappointed with their government, is because they feel that the lawyers are making the laws, and you're confirming that. Well, no, lawyers don't necessarily make the laws. We try to make suggestions. Well, you just you just got done saying that the uh, attorneys are the ones that make the laws or help interpret the laws. We, we help. We definitely help interpret because we write briefs and we argue before the court to give our positions. But when when getting the laws enacted, uh, unless you have a lawyer in the legislature, all we do as lawyers is you know, advise as best we can, because when you have lay people trying to write laws, they don't know the terms of art, they don't know the technical terms, and they don't really understand the full import of what they're doing. So in other words, the average American is too stupid to know what's best for them. Maybe not too stupid, but they don't know exactly how to say what they, what they mean to say. And so it would be somebody like you who would rescue that person to say, well, here's what you really need, and here's what you really mean. If you were to hear that from somebody else, wouldn't you say, my, that's arrogant? Well, certainly. And, and like I said, it, 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 it's really easy for people to, to grab hold of, of a group like the ACLU because, you know, it's easy to make us unpopular, and it's easy to use us as scapegoats for things that you don't like. And, and certainly those of us, you know, trying to make a difference in the world, the rest of us can... Yeah, you know, the rest of the people can go out and say, "Well, you know, aren't they arrogant? They're trying to do things that should be left alone." Yeah. So sure, it, it, it's always going to be unpopular. You know, most battles are. It's not unpopular. It's wildly unpopular. Wildly unpopular is probably accurate. Yes. So let me ask you this, because you seem like a nice person, and we've never met, and I appreciate you being a really good sport in in having this type of open conversation. What do some of your friends who aren't part of the ACLU say about either the organization or your activities? Um, I'll tell you, a lot of people with whom I work and with whom I deal on a regular basis are glad that we're there. We're, we're sort of like the gatekeepers. We protect the little guy from 
the majority. And who designated you as the gatekeepers? Well, some people there. Okay, and who are those people? That would be... They would be in the minority, first of all. Yeah. So who are those minority that say, boy, I'm glad you guys are the gatekeepers, and we're going to keep you as the gatekeepers? Who is the minority that did that? Well, just about anyone who's been under attack, and we've had to rescue the little girl who got kicked out of the Honor Society for getting pregnant, for one. Um, I don't really know. We're just... We find wrongs and we try to right them the best we can. And why is fighting them in court and tying up the judicial system the right way to do that? Well, it's the only way you do things in our society. I mean, we're not, we're not big on vigilante justice, so we can't go out and shoot the people that we don't like or who don't agree with us or who are trying to, uh, to hurt us. Right, but I don't see why tying up the court system for years and years is helping the situation either. Well, it, it wouldn't tie it up if the people would it would do the right thing. If they would do the right thing or do the thing that you want them to do? Well, generally, when we're asking them to do something, not only is it the thing that we want, but it is technically and legally the right thing. I will just say that that's probably your opinion, and and I'll respectfully disagree with that. Okay. Okay. Um, Bill O'Reilly Brothers. Well, I mean... That, I did that show one time. That was the biggest pain in the behind. Yeah, I don't like Bill O'Reilly <laughs> at all. Um and I know that you've probably said this, but just to define for our audience, what is the goal of the ACLU with their lawsuits? With the lawsuit, um, protection of people's rights. And which people are, are you protecting? Everybody's are or, being threatened. or just your clients? The people who are being threatened. And threatened by who? By other members of society who seek to marginalize them. Okay. For example, one case has uh, the Deutsche Bank that was being sued on behalf of an African tribe which suffered atrocities committed by Imperial Germany in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And why would people say that that is an injustice that, as Americans, we should fix? Well, you'd have to, you'd have to look at the, uh, at the complaint and see what, what grounds were being cited, who, who exactly was being wronged. Okay, here, that wrong entailed. Let me throw out another case. Here, here's a mm-hmm. case that was dismissed uh-huh. in the D.C. Circuit Court. It was uh, a case that was seeking reparations from Japan for crimes committed during World War II. Uh-huh. So why is that a good lawsuit? Why should people sue Japan for crimes committed during World War II? Well, I guess if you had uh, friends and family who were who were hurt, then you would need you would need some venue for your redress, and okay. and then you would be willing to open up the rest of the world to sue the United States if they didn't like something that we did in the rest of the world. Oh, well, that seems fair. Oh, that sounds like a good plan. Do you know we're the only? Well, cut- the court system the court system is there. I mean, you know, we have an adversarial system. If you're wronged, it's it's where you go to have your to have your wrongs righted. So you would have no problem with Russia suing us. Or Iran suing us? Not on, on legitimate grounds, no. Okay. Hey, here, here's. let's go ahead and move on to the next part of the, of the program. And, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to find out your opinions on 10 candidates for the presidency. Okay. And, and tell me your opinions on each candidate. And uh-huh. uh, also, if you could point out any ones which you think are the most ACLU-friendly. That would, be, okay. that would be helpful to our listeners. 
The first candidate, Hillary Clinton. Um, I think Mrs. Clinton is, is fabulous. Um, I'm a little concerned with the way she voted for the war in the beginning. I don't think she was adequately briefed, or I don't think she took enough time to... Um, you don't think a former first lady was adequately briefed? Uh, no, not when she voted to invade Iraq. I think she was she was dismally misinformed. Did you think that Congress didn't have their own investigative branch and didn't have their own committee meetings before they voted? Well, I, Do I, I think, don't I don't know who did what, but somebody dropped all when he was talking to her. See, I think that all those guys that voted for the war, they sat in in lots of committee meetings. They have intelligence as well. They have their own briefings. And then just to say, well, gee, I was bamboozled, just doesn't sit well with me. Well, I'm, if, if, like I said, I don't know if, if her problem came with um, people who briefed her or if she didn't um, thoroughly read the materials that she was given. I think the I problem think is that... Extremely the, bad call. I think the problem is that the polls show that she would be better off saying, hey, I didn't vote for it. Because if we were winning the war... My guess is she'd be saying, yep, I voted for it. Well, uh, and, and that's probably true because you're dealing with people who, who you know, are, are not that involved on a day-to-day, uh, you know, the, the, the people at large. You know, we, we, we get sound bites of what candidates do and what candidates say. And, I mean, I, I, I think Mrs. Clinton is extremely, extremely smart, and I think that she has many, many wonderful ideas. But the only the only problem I have is that she voted for that awful that awful awful war, and I think that she made a terrible mistake. So she was a really smart person that was duped. Don't know if she was duped or just didn't do her homework. So she was a really smart person that got lazy when it came to doing an important thing, which was voting for the war. Possibly, yes. Okay. Do you see her as being ACLU friendly? Uh, I don't know if any candidate wants to be to be branded as ACLU friendly, so I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully re- decline to answer that one. Okay, and why don't you think that any candidate would want to be known as ACLU friendly? Because I think they're you know, like I said, the ACLU is a, a generally an unpopular group because we take unpopular positions, and I think that and nobody wants to support them. No, no. To say they don't want to support it, but they're not going to be, you know, hand in hand with us because it's an election year, and they're not, you know, they're not going to they're not going to tie up and have people in, in, in you know, in general America who don't know anything about the ACLU or what we do, you know, they're, they're just not going to risk that. Or maybe they do. Might kill people. Or maybe they do know about the ACLU, and they don't want any part of it. I don't know too many. Well, maybe some Republicans are like that. I think anybody in government knows that, and especially anybody that's a lawyer like Hillary Clinton uh, would know what the ACLU does. Well, I, th- I think most people, they respect what we do. They might not want to most do people, what we do, but they do respect what we do. Most people, you say respect what the ACLU does? I would say most. Then, then if they respected you as an organization, why aren't you more popular? Because we take unpopular positions. But they respect you. To, you know, nobody wants to jump in and go, hey, we don't like what you're doing and we don't like what you're saying. You know, we respect what you do, but we don't like how you're doing it. Okay, that, uh, that's one of those caveman moments for me. <laughs> uh, what? Okay. And once again, thanks for being such a good sport. Am I being too tough? 
Now, like I said, I, you know, I did Bill O'Reilly, and that man's a complete jackass, so you're fine. You did Bill O'Reilly? I should. Oh, really? When? <laughs> what was the topic? Was it ACLU? First Amendment, yeah. It was right after I addressed Congress back in, 90, in 2003. Wow, okay. See, I didn't realize I was talking with a celebrity. Read okay. my, you read my email right in the beginning, and I am infamous. Okay, well, very good. Um, <laughs> hey, let's talk about the next candidate, Mitt Romney. Romney? I, I, I think, again, he's, he's very smart. He's, he's got a lot to give. I think the problem he's going to have is that he's Mormon. And why is that a hindrance? Well, because a lot of people don't understand it. And, and I think a lot of people are just afraid, just like they were afraid to elect a Catholic president when Kennedy was elected in the 60s. He's doing really well in Iowa. Well, I, I, I hope he does well overall. I think he's, I think he's a, a brilliant man, and I think he'd do a great job. ACLU friendly? I have no clue. Okay. John Edwards? Again, very, very smart, very personable. Um, I think the situation with his wife makes him much more uh, reachable for the people because, you know, everybody's got an illness or something, and, and so he's, 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 he's human now to everybody. And he's very smart, got some great ideas, um, and he's been around the track when he went with uh, Mr. Carey several years ago, so he knows the pitfalls, he knows where to go, how to do things. He, and, he'd be great. And his Achilles heel is what? I think that he, you know, ran a campaign and lost. <laughs> you don't think that the, the fact that he's paying for $400 haircuts where most people say, you know, I'm lucky if I get a $6 haircut is a hindrance at all to him, to the average well, person? I'm, I really don't know. I mean, you know, how much he pays for his haircut, is that really anybody's business? Well, it is when you're preaching about it's the yours. poor. You know, how much do I pay for mine? Does it, does it matter in the great scheme of things? It's my money. It's your money. Yeah, but I think when, when people say, hey, there's somebody that is talking about the poor and welfare, and yet they have lots of money to spend, do they really understand my situation? Well, I think you're going to run that risk with just about anybody who's reached that level of... of uh, of public office. I mean, they all have money. You don't have anybody who's, you know, got a minimum wage job running for office at a national level. I agree with you. That's something you and I can both agree on. ACLU friendly? Don't know. Would hope so. Would hope so. And, and, and maybe because he's a big attorney, he would know all about the ACLU? He should know. He should know what we do and why we do it. And, and, and so he, I would expect him to know more than someone who's not an attorney especially someone who's not a constitutional attorney. Okay. Next candidate, Fred Thompson. Well, I love law and order. <laughs> he certainly looks presidential. And uh, if you want somebody, you know, Reagan-esque, I mean, there's your man. He's beautiful. He, he's well-spoken. He's, he's presidential. He, he's fatherly, I guess. Um, he's likable. He's very likable. A little too conservative for me, but... Uh, I think he's, as far as just a figurehead and someone to, you know, represent the country, I mean, he, he looks like a president. And I won't even ask you the question if he's ACLU friendly, because I think I know the answer there. I know the answer there. <laughs> How about Barack Obama? I adore Barack Obama. I think he's, he's amazing. His wife is amazing. He's done such wonderful things in Illinois. I know he's only been a one-term senator. And, and that's going to be, you know, that's his problem. He doesn't have a lot of experience coming to the plate. But, but I mean, when he was working with the community in Chicago or wherever he was when he, when he got out of school and he went back, you know, went back home, 
you know, he, he didn't jump to the big bucks. He went back into the community and started serving, and he, he's done wonderful things, and he's just got fabulous ideas, and, and he's grounded. He's got a, a lovely wife and two, two beautiful girls, and I, I would love to see him in office. So you would vote for him? Absolutely. Do you think that Barack Obama has ever supported an issue that was also supported by the ACLU? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that he has. Uh, you know, most of us in in the practice of law have handled uh, a constitutional issue, and we've had to protect someone's rights, and and that all comes under the guise of an ACLU friendly issue. Whether the ACLU gets involved and, and attaches its name is, is not always the case. Next candidate, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, I mean, Judy, Giuliani stood out. You know, as as just a wonderful leader after the World Trade Center events, and um, I think his his problem will be more his his affair when he was in office and things of that nature. I think a lot of people are going to take some issue with his personal life. Of course, um, I don't really think that that should have a lot of bearing. <laughs> but and why not? Well, I mean, obviously, one could make the argument that it goes toward someone's judgment but in that you know emotional matters family matters of that kind I, I don't know that you can i don't you know that you can equate judgment on that level with politics well don't you think that if you're having an affair that also reflects character as far as your honesty and your commitment it could i think it does it could next candidate bill richardson don't really know that much about mr richardson Oh, okay. He's ne- from New Mexico? He is the governor of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And he's also um, a minority candidate. I yeah. think he says he's 75% uh, Hispanic. I've seen him speak a few times, and he seems very, you know, quite brilliant and quite quite on, you know, quite ready to make some changes. I think the problem he's going to run into is that the Hispanic community in Los Angeles has already endorsed Hillary Clinton. And that's one of the biggest Hispanic communities in the country. So, I would agree with you there. That's kind of a good old kick in the butt. Yeah, when you know, when your own, and I don't, I don't want to say that because I mean, Al Sharpton said, "No, we're not going to support Barack Obama just because he's African American. He's going to have to show us something else, bring something else to the table." So I don't want to say, well, you know, because Mr. Richardson is Hispanic and that section of the Hispanic community has endorsed Hillary Clinton, that there's a problem. But I would, you know, I would hope that. I would hope that everybody would give him a chance to bring something and show them that he's that he's a viable candidate. Next candidate, John McCain. I I, I admire Mr. McCain for so many things. I mean, he his his um, his his terrible you know situation when he was a, a prisoner of war and just all of the things that he endured. Uh, he, he's amazing. Um, I'm a little uh, worried that he could walk down the streets in Iraq and say it's safe now when Michael Ware is going, the man must be, you know, he's walking somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I would want to be walking down the street of Baghdad. No, I don't think so. And and, and maybe it is a bit different when you've got a hundred, you know, armed, uniformed military surrounding you. Perhaps it is a bit safer. But I think I think he overstated when he said, "Yeah, it's, it's safe for it's safe for people to walk the streets here." Yeah, because most people just don't believe that. 
No, no. ACLU friendly? Don't know. Don't know. How about Al Gore? Al Gore is, is amazing. He's brilliant, and he's tried so hard to bring attention to the whole global warming problem. And he's written this wonderful book called The Assault on Reason, or The Assault of Reasonableness. I can't remember exactly the title, but fabulous book. Uh, very, very, very smart, very well-read, well-educated, up on the issues. Wish he would run. Do you think he'll choose not to run just because he likes being a celebrity more? I, I would hesitate to say because he likes being a celebrity more, but I think maybe he... If he doesn't run, then it's because he's reaching more people now in his role as a celebrity. I mean, he's going around and he's doing the talk show circuit and writing books, and people are hearing his message. And, and nobody's really coming down on him all that hard like he or like they would if he was the president. Right. So he's, he's, he's got uh, sort of a bully pulpit. He can go and, and make his case and... And, and people are listening to him. And the left wing out in Hollywood just loves him. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of us love him. I think a lot of us in the country love him. Well, then he should have been voted in as president. He by, was. By a majority. He was. By a large majority. A majority only requires one. True. But he still got Doesn't beat. require a supermajority, just one. Well, then he should have ran, he should have ran the next time. He should have, he should have ran in 2004. Well, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know why he didn't. Because, because John Kerry said, "No, it's my turn." Well, I, you know, I, party politics, I, I don't really do that much, so I, I, I don't know, you know, whose turn at bat it was at that time. Okay, last the Republicans do the same thing. Is it's supposed to be John McCain's turn, but somebody else is kind of stepping up, so I don't really know. Oh, absolutely. And talking about party politics, here's the last candidate, Newt Gingrich. Newt needs to take his ball and go home. That's just all I'll say. <laughs> Enough said there. Not electable. He's not going to make it. No. Yeah, I agree with that. Lindy, it's time to play Ask Me 03. This is where I get to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Okay, what's, what's the deal with the gas prices? <laughs> Why am I paying $3.10 a gallon? Oh, that's that's real easy. That is just nothing more than the gas companies and their lobby just gouging the consumer, the you and I. For example, when I started this podcast two years ago, we were screaming that it was a buck fifty. Mm-hmm. Now it's double that and more. What What's amazing to me is why people aren't calling up the representatives and calling their senators. And almost rioting in the street saying, will you stop gouging me for this? And the reason the government stays away from it is because that's a big money lobby. And they don't want to kill the golden goose. And also because of all the amount of state and federal taxes that are attached to your gas purchase. Just my opinion. What's your opinion on that? Pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. They're they're not going to stop because they're making too much money. And, and, and they've kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you throw, the, you throw the frog into the warm water and slowly, slowly raise the temperature and he doesn't try to escape. Uh, you know, we, we, at, a year ago we were fussing, oh, my gosh, it's $2 a gallon, what are we going to do? And now it's over three and we're just going, thank you, God, that it's not four. <laughs> four is coming. It's coming, and then when, when we see it, we'll all go, thank God it's not five. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that sad? 
Isn't that just sad? It is for me because I drive an SUV. I have three dogs, and their crates don't fit in a car, so I have to have an SUV, and it, it eats my lunch. So, yeah. And I think one of the dogs was a guest in the background just a yes, few minutes was. ago. That's my Elvis. That's my, my baby. What's question number two? My question number two, um, what do you think of the death penalty? You're asking my opinion whether I'm for it or against it or what? Yeah, and why? I think that it's up to each state to determine whether the death penalty is appropriate. I think for the people that cannot be rehabilitated and have really done a very heinous crime, that I'm okay with it. For example, I was okay with Saddam Hussein's execution. I did not shed a tear at all when that happened. What's your opinion? I am violently opposed to it because I don't think state-sanctioned murder is any different than any other. How do you feel about tobacco companies? I think that the tobacco companies perpetrated a heinous, heinous fraud on the people for all of those years, telling them that nicotine wasn't addictive. Um, and, and, you know, it's just... And, and particularly, like when my parents were in college, you know, cigarette companies sold cigarettes in the cafeterias at their colleges. So, you know, they indoctrinated a whole, a whole generation of smokers. Yeah, the tobacco companies have killed more people than the states with their death penalty. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. What's question number three? Question number three is, how do we actually get Al Gore to change his mind and run for president? Get Britney Spears to say that she'll be the vice president. Oh, good God. <laughs> they could be Al and Britney running the whole show, and they could just be on the cover of every celebrity magazine possible. Oh, that's a frightening thought. See, I, th- I think that he's, he's comfortable. You know, I, I think that there's there's a big part of him that just absolutely doesn't want to be part of the uh, political establishment. And to be kind of honest, he's probably got it as good as he's ever had it. And, and when you have a life as good as you've ever had, then it's kind of hard to turn your back on that and say, you know what, I'm going to throw myself back into the, the mix. But let me ask you this question as kind of a follow-up. If you were to have a one-on-one conversation with Al Gore and your purpose was to convince him to run for president of the United States, what would you tell him? I would tell him that you know he's, he's on the right track because he's conveying his message in all of the popular media so more people are getting his message and more people know who he is and what he thinks and, and what he believes now. And he would say, okay, so why should I leave this life to jump into the fire? And you would tell him what? Because sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. And if it means being a bit uncomfortable to save everybody, then that's what you have to do. That's what George Washington did. Yeah. That's what we've all done at one time or another. See, I don't Grandpa think... did, you know, in World War II and World War I. Uh, See, you know, I don't... Every, everybody makes sacrifices. And see, I don't think Al Gore has that in him. I, th- I, I think that you, I think that you've probably hit the nail on the head that you he would have to sacrifice something. I'm not sure whether at this point he's willing to sacrifice, but I could be wrong too. Well, I, I, I genuinely, genuinely hope that he would make that sacrifice because I think he'd be brilliant and I think we need him because he's a very forward-thinking man. But he, 
you know, even if he decides not to not to get back into politics, at least he's you know he, he's trying to educate people on on the problems that we have worldwide. So so he, he's he's a good man and he's doing great things regardless of the venue he chooses. But I I, I wish he would run and I would hope that he would win. Lindy, you've been such a great sport, and I really appreciate you taking time out just to have the conversation with me. Well, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. Lindy, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you would make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Remember that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.